what distinguishes the people of God as the people of God. And we've been talking about it is the gospel. And what does that mean? What does that look like? Today is also Palm Sunday. And I don't know how many of you know the significance of Palm Sunday or, or how Palm Sunday got its name. But we're going to start with that story uh, because the story really fits into where we have been and where we are going. We look in Matthew chapter 21. We'll start in verse 7. And I'll just fill you in before verse 7 because four, verse 7 kind of starts in the middle of the story. But uh, Jesus and his disciples were in Bethpage. Now, this journey actually began in Bethany, which is a couple of miles away, maybe two miles away from Jerusalem. That's where Lazarus lived. And, and so this was a six-day period, and I'm not saying it took six days to go a couple of miles, but they were talking and they were doing things. And they come to Bethpage, which is a walled village on the outskirts of Jerusalem. So it's really kind of considered a part of Jerusalem. Excuse me. The front row is texting me. Uh, that, uh, so I guess that's the way to get my attention in the sermon is text me. <clears throat> Actually, it's a way to get me to turn my phone off. But Okay. I looked to see if it was the Lord. <clears throat> so they were in Bethpage. It's this walled village that's really a, considered a part of Jerusalem, although it has its own separate wall. It's right on the outskirts of Jerusalem, and that's where they are. And Jesus is talking. This is really his final journey. Uh, it, it, is, it is the one where he is going to meet his fate. Now, they didn't really see it that way. They saw it as him making his final, if you will, assault or final approach into Jerusalem to become king. And he rode in on a donkey, and that was to fulfill a prophecy in the book of Zechariah. Uh, so his disciples went to get this donkey. This is verse 7. They brought the donkey uh, and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches. These are the palm branches uh, from the trees, and they spread them on the road. And so they're cutting these limbs. This is royalty coming in, and Jesus is riding in. This is, this is huge. I mean, this is the Arab Spring. This is the revolution. This is the moment where the people are liberated. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. This was a significant statement. When they said the son of David, obviously Jesus' father was not David. But you see, what they knew from the word, from prophecy, is that the true and the everlasting king of Israel would be a descendant of David. And that's what they were calling him. They were calling him the one. That's what they were calling him. They got it, didn't they? 
They were calling him the one. This is the one who is coming to make everything right. This is the one, although he has no army and no weapon, he is riding in as a king to be king. And they believed nothing was going to stop that. Hosanna to the son of David. And Hosanna means really, blessed be the name of the Lord. Bless the Lord. So you have it here in Hosanna language, and you have it. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. They are celebrating. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. It's not the first time that people had seen Jesus in this role and desired that. If we look at John, we look back at John 6, chapter, 14, uh, chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. This is right after he fed the 5,000. It says, after the people saw the signs Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Verse 15, Jesus knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force withdrew again to a mountain by himself. You see, it is interesting to see how correct you can have it and how wrong you can be. You see, they... In our book, we'd say they got the big pieces. But I don't know that Jesus would say they had the big pieces. Why would I say that? It's because their gospel to this point, their evidence to this point was experiential. They were fed. He can be king as long as he's feeding me. They were healed. As long as he's healing me, he's my king. But there are many governments that will promise to feed you. Many people will make you promises for your allegiance and your loyalty. You see... Their gospel was not there. Only their knowledge was there. Their head could see evidence. They experienced something of the gospel. And it was real. And it was true. But I want you to remember that just a few days from now, this king, this son of David, this prophet that's coming into the world died a death alone. Alone. You see, their belief system ended when their experience ended. Their ability to celebrate, their ability to be brave, all of those things 
to walk with him when he's coming in as a king. He had many fans. But the road to Golgotha, there were not many fans. Not many people on the road to death were saying, Behold the king of the world. You see, they were also living in their experience in that moment. Palm Sunday, to me, has that double edge to it. They got it, but they didn't. They celebrated, but their celebration was only experientially deep. And because of that, it could be taken from them. Because of that, the sword of a Roman, the spear of a Roman, was able to remove the gospel surgically from the believers, even the apostles. Because this did not fit. Does your gospel fit? I got asked a question this week. I thought it was a really good question. The question was, you know, because this person happens to be physically compromised, how is it when I talk to Jesus and they want to know, well, if Jesus is so powerful and capable, then what's your story? Why is your experience so pathetic? How is it you have a powerful God and yet, man, nobody wants to be you. Nobody wants your story, man. It's a good question, isn't it? I think most of us as the church wrestle with that question because most all of us on some level have attached performance and the gospel in a way that it was never intended to be connected so that to quote another person who spoke to me this week who was actually quoting another person said I hate it that I am ruled by my emotions When I'm happy, praise God. When I'm down, where's God? God, where's God? Here's God, where's God? Is that the life of many believers? Is that the gospel and the only gospel we really have to share? So it makes sense that it would silence us in front of other people if our circumstances are such that, you know, I can't really sell the gospel thing. I mean, what am I selling? It's a hard sell. Don't you want to be like me? No. No, I don't want to be like you. I don't want to be anything like you. I don't even like you. 
And that's when you kind of walk away on your own and go, yeah, I don't like me either. I don't want to be me. Where's God? You see, our truth, the truth of Jesus has to shape our experience. That means there has to be something of value. There has to be something eternal in every experience of your life. In every failure, there must be a gospel in your failure. There must be a redemption. There must be a quality that goes beyond the grave in your everyday life. It must be. Because if we don't have it, then we don't have a gospel that's better than the one the world has. In our circumstances, in our darkest hour, there must be, as we search the soul of the one who has the Spirit and says, yes, there is hope here. Yes, there is light here. Hosanna in the highest. You see, if that's not our declaration in that moment, it's not our declaration. This was Satan's very contention with Job. If you violate his circumstances, he will cough you up. He will surrender you if you violate those circumstances. God says, then violate them and let's see if he does. But he did not surrender his God. He would not surrender his God no matter what the circumstances were. We're not going to read these scriptures. We're just going to hit these headlines. You know, Jesus in Romans 6 It's not Jesus speaking, but we we see where Jesus offers us a new life. That life must be new, folks. It has to be new. It has to be different. It has to be completely different. It has to be a life that's being transformed, transformed, transformed into something different. It's not an adjustment. It's not an amendment. It's not an addition. It's new. Anything less than that, and you will be faced with living your experiences as your faith. All right, so Jesus offers this new life. In Acts 5, we see that the the Spirit says, now go tell the world about this new life. Not your new experiences, but your new life. Not how great and perfect and wonderful your life is or your marriage is. Or that you don't have any conflict in your life. No, tell them about the new life, the new peace that's inside you. You see the distinction? It's the new you, the peace inside that's new. You, new, right there. It's not about this. This is an inconsequential stage. It's the stage. 
and on the stage. I might be a rich man. I might be a poor man. I might be an invalid. I might be a short woman. I might be whatever God makes me. But the reality is, I am new. And I am different. Can I get an amen on that? I like that, Les. You see, what is what the greatest thing you have to talk about in your life is that it's new. That's the greatest thing you have to talk about. What's going on? Well, you know, my insurance is going up on my car. What else? I need new tires or I'm not going to be able to get an inspection sticker. Okay, what else? You know, my job is empty. Okay, what else? What else? What else? How many what else's do I have to get to get something about your new life? How deep down is it that you're going to share with me something of life? Because everything you've told me so far might be real. It might be important. It might be right now. It might be in your mind urgent. But it is not eternal. Nothing you have shared with me is going to go very far. You see, when the scripture in 1 Peter says that we are explaining the evidence of our new life, it needs to show enough that somebody's going to ask you. needs to show. You see, the new life is the evidence of the reality of the gospel. It's the new life. It's not the new circumstances. It's the new life. It's the new life that overcomes all circumstances. That's the only thing you got to sell. And if you're selling something different, you're selling the wrong thing. If you're saying, you know, come to Jesus and he will heal you. That's true. He'll heal your new life. He'll give you a new life. Will he fix your leg? I don't know. We're going to pray for that. We're going to believe for that. But that is not the point of your new life. Your new leg, your new arteries. Whatever it is you need that's new, we'll pray for that. But that is not the evidence of a new life. How do we know that? Well, in Galatians 5, starting in 22, we see the evidence of a gospel-affected life. Or I like to think of it as a gospel-infected life. I want you to look at this list. It's characterized by love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, meekness, self-control. You can look at 522. You can see the list. There are, I think, nine there, and that's not an exhaustive list. That's just giving you an idea. I want you to look at, go ahead to the next slide, please. I want you to look at that. All right. There is evidence of a new life because I can heal people. Is that what it says? There is evidence of a new life because I am healed. Is that what it says? Because I can bring fire from heaven? Because I can stop the sun? 
because I can stop floods, because I can raise the dead. Do you realize that none of that is listed in Galatians 5 as the fruit of the Spirit? It's not that that isn't what God is doing in the world. It is not the evidence of new life. What is evidence of new life is that you're new, you're different, and that you're no longer controlled by circumstances. You're no longer controlled by the things that are messing with you, frustrating you, overwhelming you. Melinda and I have, I would say, been helping one another in our, um, our pursuit of joy. I'm convinced it is the most unsung hero in the Bible. We look at it as just such a generic option of circumstances. Not so. It is what I should be experiencing. And if I'm not, I'm giving it up for something less. So, you know, if Melinda sees I'm frustrated with something, she encourages me. If I see she's frustrated with something, am I, am I surrendering the joy? So I didn't ask her I could share this, but can I share the paintbrush? You know, she was, she was looking for a paintbrush last night. She was frustrated. She couldn't find the paintbrush. We have like 20,000, but it was the paintbrush. So don't, don't mess up my story. Uh, do not confuse us with facts, okay? All right, so she's frustrated. Oh, man. You know, we need to organize this place and then keep it organized. That's the big fail, blah, blah, blah. She's going on. And I, what I hear is me. That's what I hear. I said, that's what I sound like. Okay. Whether I'm verbal or not, that's what I sound like. You don't have to be verbal to sound like that, do you? No. The tree falls in a forest. It makes a sound, okay? So... I just encourage her, hey, don't surrender your joy. Okay, I'm, you know, she says something about reaching for the joy or something like that. You know, I mean, it's a jump ball. Sometimes I might say, you know, hey, you mind your own business. But she didn't, you know. She was as receptive as we all can be in that moment. But it is how we can help one another. It's how we train ourselves to rise above, above a moment. It's how we can bring life to other people and allow other people to speak life into us. You know, and she eventually found the paintbrush. After she was done painting with another paintbrush. So you see, there was another paintbrush, wasn't there? I'm not going to gloat in that. That would rob my joy, probably. Yeah, and it might get me in trouble. I don't know. But anyway, so I, I want you to know we can be right just like they did on Palm Sunday, but be very wrong. And when I say wrong, we just miss the peace that reveals and where we experience the gospel for all it is. You know, I'm, I'm going to make a correction because I got corrected this morning when I was talking with someone. 
about a story I gave a couple of weeks ago here. And they say, he said, well, you didn't tell that part in church. You know what? I wimped out a little bit. So I'm going to go back and, and uh, fill in on that. You know, I, I shared with you on that real windy Tuesday uh, that there was somebody trying to load sheetrock at a Lowe's. The Lord spoke to me and said, go over and help them. I said, I'm really running late. And the Lord said, no, really, go over and help them. I said, cool, I'll go help them. And I went over there and I helped them. And it was really hard even for two of us to load this sheetrock. And once I did, I just walked away and I was just filled with the joy of the, of the Lord. I just began to pr- praise God. I literally began to praise God and to thank him. And I was even thinking, Bill, exactly what are you thanking him for? I didn't know. I was just thanking him. It was just so cool. And then I kind of, in the Lowe's parking lot, I just broke into this little happy dance, you know? That's the part I didn't share because, you know. But, all right, you went too far. <laughs> you know, there I am in the Lowe's parking lot. You know, probably the guy with the sheetrock goes, oh, my gosh, I don't know. But it doesn't matter. You see, I was experiencing the joy of the Lord for such a small thing, and I couldn't make sense of it. I couldn't put together except I was experiencing the joy of the Lord. And you see that in the Scripture. You know, they all just rejoiced and worshiped the Lord. It was just like spontaneous combustion. And like in that moment, there I am in the parking lot, you know, doing my thing and, and praising God and just thanking him and thanking him and thanking him. And I didn't even know exactly what I was thanking him for. Are you thanking him for the opportunity? Are you thanking him because it worked? Are you thanking him because you actually paid attention to what he was saying? I don't know. Maybe all of it, maybe none of that. But I was thankful. It is true the gospel has a life-to-come element. And it's true the gospel does indeed affect our circumstances today. We do pray and invite the Lord into our circumstances. We pray and we ask the Lord for healing. We ask the Lord for blessing. We ask the Lord for help financially. We ask the Lord for wisdom in making decisions. We want the Lord engaged in our circumstances. Absolutely. But we must know, the scripture calls it the pearl of great price is the new life. It's a life that's no longer controlled by circumstances. It's the life where the Father is one with me and I with him. It's the life where I find joy in the things that would normally destroy me. It's a life that's supernatural because it does live above my circumstances. It's a life that flourishes right now in this world. It's a life that will reveal the Father faithfully every day, all the time. It's that life. You know, maybe I pray for you and you're not healed. But I've prayed for people that were healed, supernaturally healed, believers and unbelievers. You know, I cannot remember one of them coming to the Lord. I cannot remember one of them coming to the Lord. Why is that? You see, we act like that. If I had that Powerball, 
you know, then people, I would be bringing people to the Lord. I would just walk up to people, hey, you know, if you let me pray for you, your leg will just grow out and you'll be perfect. And then you'll come to Jesus. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But you see, when we have new life and we're experiencing new life, then in that moment, we begin to offer people new life, not just a different circumstance. That's why our gospel can be so weak. We, we are hedgingly offering them new circumstances. The Lord wants to heal you. He doesn't heal all the time. There's this already not yet thing, uh, but he could want to heal you. And so I'm going to pray for you and, and, uh, because the Lord loves you, and so you'll be healed Maybe, probably. That, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with offering that. I'm saying if you're hesitant because that's all you have to offer, then you're forgetting about new life. What we offer people is a new life. You know how many people would like a new life? if you could show them what one looks like. If they looked at your life and saw something different, something new, something of substance, something that seems to be rooted and grounded. That's what the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 6. It says that Jesus is the anchor of the soul, which anchors us to the very throne of God. Wow. Like who thinks the, 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 the throne of God is going to get pushed around in a storm? What are you anchored to? The throne of God? You're probably going to last. So what's your anchor? Jesus yeah, Jesus is my attachment to the throne of God. So what can man do to me? What circumstances will rise above my anchor and the throne of God? You see, a new life is rooted in that. Betty, could you come share? I, I, I want you to know, because I've had really a number of people talk to me, this is, this is difficult. Uh, I mean, moving into a new life, and, uh, you know, I, I love our transparency here. So uh, Betty came in and said, I had a, I don't know, it was an all-week failure or an something. An epic fail. An epic fail all week. Yeah. Anybody else experienced an epic fail this week? Maybe some of you. All right. Uh, so go ahead. So, um, and so Bill says, well, why is that? You know, that's a good question. Seemed like a good um, question. It's a good question. I don't have the answer yet. I'm listening for it. I'm looking for it. I'm searching for it. But what came to my mind this morning during worship um, was the scripture that's in, um, oops, wrong place, I'm in Galatians, in 2 Corinthians, Corinthians three. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, and it says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to know that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. 
We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. And I told Bill, I said, no, that's not what happened. I was crushed. And I I wasn't persecuted, but I felt abandoned. I, uh, you know, was struck down. I may not have been destroyed, but man, I was struck down. So I... So I stand up here in full transparency, struggling with what could I have done differently, you know. And Monday was not good. Half a day Tuesday, you know, Tuesday morning not good. Tuesday afternoon a little bit better. Friday not so good. This is my my work because I work Mondays, Tuesdays, and Fridays. And uh, and so just kind of struggling all week and wondering what could I have done differently. And I, I, I tried to take in the moment and pause and I mean I was I was looking to God, but in my being crushed and perplexed, I wasn't finding it. I appreciate honesty. It's a, it is, and you know, I'm, I'm not saying I have found this easy. What I have found, and uh, I'm going to go back to actually a teaching a youth gave years ago that I've never forgotten. He used that text. And he said, If I'm destroyed, then something's wrong. If I'm just struck down, that's okay. But if I'm destroyed, something is wrong. And he used the negative on each one of those. If that's true for me, something is wrong. And I can tell you what it is. What is wrong is our gospel. You see... If we're there, then we need our gospel to be bigger and different. For me, and I, I, I share this because I think we all began our journey as circumstances challenge us. What becomes tested is our faith to believe the gospel is indeed a new life that transforms our circumstances, all right? But as I said last week with the fertile soil, that is a choice, and she is starting to make that choice. She is starting to move in the direction of knowing there is more in this moment. For me, the same way, I'm saying, no, I am not going to receive being destroyed. I want my joy right now, in this moment, in my circumstances. No matter what they are, I will not surrender because we begin, I think we have a habit of surrendering the gospel. And and I just appreciate her transparency and willing to say, you know, I, I don't know how to get there. I think that's how we get there. We keep pursuing, and we see that the gospel has the power to rescue and to set us free.
Yeah. This is not a plug for a movie, but I had a very similar experience this week. On Thursday, we went to see a movie called Miracles from Heaven. I highly recommend it. Your, your sermon is in that movie. And Jennifer Gardner says that at the end. So if you have anyone who is downing the gospel, invite them to the movies. It's not a plug, but it is incredible how much the word of God in this sermon is in that movie. But the problem that the child has in that movie was a problem that Hilda Salinas, a friend, started to experience at midnight. So within 24 hours, I was in the hospital with someone that had experienced something very similar to what happens in that movie. And in my mind was like, Lord, what happened? No, we were having so much fun. We went out to eat. And then she's in the hospital. I got the text from her husband calling her, because he calls her my baby. And I'm thinking, who in the church is having a child in the hospital? And I started praying for this baby. It was Ilda. He calls her my baby. But it is so so true, Bill. And the only anchor, I mean, as we're sitting there in the hospital thinking, Lord, you're in control. You're in control. And this week is about joy. <laughs> How do we get it in the middle of this? Only Jesus can make the difference. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <clears throat> in First Peter Verse 8, where he says that by the Holy Spirit, we are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Now, I know I've been hitting hard on joy the last three weeks, but I don't know when it's going to stop. So uh, I think the Lord is really wanting to encourage you to trust that it's available in your life where you are. Hebrews chapter 12, we see that Jesus was motivated by joy. The scripture encourages us, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let's run it. Let's run it with perseverance. That means stepping into it with an intentionality and a stamina to run our race. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. There's your joy. Fixing our eyes on Jesus in the circumstances. Fixing our eyes on Jesus in our, in, our, in our frustration, in the injustice, when we're blamed, when we're angry, when we're tired, when we're hurt, when we're lonely, when we're rejected. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. The pioneer and the perfecter of faith. the one who made a way, the one who perfected that way. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. For the joy set before him, he endured all the things he endured. You know, if you ever think about his life, how many lies he heard, how many people he heard posturing, how many people he heard that were arrogant, how many people he listened to that were acted like they were spiritual know-it-alls or his equal? I mean, you think about, gosh, 
three days in the life of a ministry as Jesus, you'd probably go, man, I can't stand people. God, do you really want to save this group? I mean, really? I see a couple, but for the most part, we need to cut this batch loose. He did it for the joy. That's you and me. He found joy in you. He finds joy in me. Enough that he ran his race. Enough that he endured his circumstances. And what he makes possible is that we can look to him for our joy and run our race and endure our circumstances with joy. Not judging people, not hating people, not resenting people. And I want to say this. For many of us here, your week was bad and your real disappointment is you. Your real frustration is with you. You're disappointed in you. And I want to tell you today, and I, and I believe the Lord is giving me this to say, he does not share your disappointment. And what he wants is for you to step beyond your lack of performance, your disappointment, your anger outbursts, whatever it is that's giving you guilt right now. And he's wanting you to let him deal with that and for you to put your eyes on him and to be filled with joy because he loves you. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. If we are a fertile soil of the gospel, it's because we choose to be. If we are joyous in difficult circumstances, it's because we reached for it beyond our circumstances. Because we believed that it was ours to have in that moment. In that moment when I messed up. In that moment, when I didn't deserve anything, that joy was mine to hold. It was mine to grab. It was mine. It was bought by Jesus. And even though my circumstances might be all my fault, that joy is mine. And to surrender it is for Jesus to die for no reason at all. So we step through our circumstances, your fault, my fault, 
everybody's fault, nobody's fault, Satan's fault. You can get tied up in that moment trying to figure out just who you need to forgive. The first thing you need to do is reach for the gospel. Forget about forgiveness until you reach for the gospel. It is not safe to try to forgive people when you're angry, frustrated, mad, and upset. Reach for the gospel. Let the new life produce in you. And out of that, you can say to someone in your heart, I forgive you. And you can say to you, I forgive me. This is what a new life looks like. There's more power right there than there is in raising the dead. There's more power, far more testimony there than anything that we could do with acts of service. Jesus invites you today. No strings attached. You don't have to clean up. You don't have to ask for forgiveness. You don't have to say something. You can decide you want to experience the new life. We're standing in Palm Sunday, and many of us have had palm branches for many years. Many of us have honored Jesus with palm branches for many years. Today he offers you the whole story and the rest of the story, and that is pursue your new life. Let him reveal it to you. And you will experience a joy that will make you dance in the Lowe's parking lot. You will experience a love and a peace that only comes from knowing him and is beyond any circumstance. And your relationships and your marriages and your call and your purpose will have much more clarity and much more peace because you find yourself experiencing a new life. If you would stand.